From asset pooling and actuarial valuations to administration and data, local government pension schemes have a lot to think about this year. However, in its 2018 research, the pensions regulator said it saw signs that process improvements had stalled in some local government schemes. The watchdog said it would continue to focus on improving governance in public service pension funds. So what are the current challenges for LGPS funds, and are they making progress when it comes to ensuring good governance? I'm Sophia Imerson, Deputy Editor at Pensions Expert, and I'm joined today by Kirsty Bartlett, partner at law firm Squire Patton Boggs, and Ian Colvin, Head of LGPS Benefits and Governance at Hyman's Robertson. Ian, the Scheme Advisory Board has appointed Hyman's Robertson to conduct a survey on governance of the LGPS. It will look at potential conflicts of interest between the pensions function of administering authorities and their host local authority. So what are the issues in terms of possible conflicts of interest? Hello, Sophia. Well, the LGPS is unique in the way that it's structured. LGPS funds are not separate legal entities, and the vast majority of them actually sit within existing local authority structures. The scheme rules are set by statute, which means that the elected members and the officers responsible for running the scheme are not trustees in the way that we recognise in the private sector. The question of potential conflicts of interest arises when the financial interests of the council are perceived to be at odds with the interests of the fund. For example, can the council justify authorising additional spend on the administration of the scheme, even if that's required, when it's also cutting services to other parts of the council? Or could the council pursue a funding or investment strategy which is in its own best interests but may not be suitable for the other employers that are within the fund? I would add that it's important to note there are many extremely well-run LGPS funds and they they navigate these uh, conflicts of interest extremely well. And part of this piece of work with the Scheme Advisory Board is to ask to what extent do those successful funds rely on the experience, professionalism, the goodwill of the individuals involved? And is there a way that we can formalise that best practice and spread it across the LGPS? And how is the survey progressing and what will be the next steps once it's been completed? Uh, Well, it's early days, but things are are going well. I think central to the success of this project is to ensure that the widest possible engagement happens across all sections of the LGPS. At the moment, we're in the process of finalising with the Scheme Advisory Board a series of questions, and those questions will form part of an online survey. Uh, That will commence mid-April and go on to the end of May. We'll be supplementing the online survey with one-to-one conversations, a series of workshops and appearances at at various events, including the the PLSA Local Authority Conference in May. Once the analysis of of those opinions has been done, uh, the final report will go to the Scheme Advisory Board in July. And then, if the Board wishes, it can make recommendations to government to affect any changes that it thinks will be beneficial to the LGPS. And generally, how effective is LGPS governance and administration and where are improvements needed? Well, we do see many very good examples of well-run LGPS funds. And where it works well, we see funds that are sufficiently well-resourced, that have a core of experienced officers, that have proper uh, training for the members of the pension committee and the pension board, and really engage uh, positively with the pension regulator's requirements. But there are some funds that struggle, and that tends to be down to a lack of available skilled resource or perhaps a lack of clarity around responsibilities. And again, part of this Scheme Advisory Board work is about understanding what those structural barriers might be that stop all funds from being in the the best category and maybe learning from those that are already doing it well. And Kirsty, what's your view then on, on how LGPS schemes are doing in terms of governance administration and what kind of improvements would you like to see? I think I'd agree with Ian in the first instance that there are a lot of very well-run funds out there. 
the structures in place, the committees, they're all subject to freedom of information requests. They know very, very well um, how to operate to a very high standard. That said, long-running austerity and pressure on fund resources is continuing to have an impact, I think. Also, with the advent of pooling, we're seeing an increase in the key man risk for some funds with officers either coming up to retirement or perhaps moving across to the pools. And so making sure that they continue to have people with a really high knowledge of the pension fund and how it operates is becoming an issue for some. And then an issue that is not exclusive to the LGPS, just Administering pension schemes with the volume of data, the number of members, is a hard thing for any pension scheme to do. It can be particularly difficult for LGPS funds because some of them are very large. They've got ever more complicated benefit structure and vast numbers of employers participating in some cases. So just getting the data right, the nuts and bolts, getting the information in in a timely way, it's something that the pensions regulator has been focusing on across public sector schemes as well as the private sector. Um, So I think that is going to need to be an area for focus going forwards. And there's been a significant amount of change among um, the LGPS funds in terms of pooling over the last few years. So how much progress has been made regarding governance of, of the pools? Well, it feels like we've been talking about pooling for a very, very long time (laughs) indeed. I think the good news when it comes to governance is that that has been at the heart of pooling right from the word go. So like-minded authorities got together in the first instance, decided that they would create a structure that suited them and making sure that that can be run in the way that works for those authorities has been as I say, right at the heart of it. Um, We mustn't underestimate the task. We've got north of £260 billion worth of assets here, the vast majority of which are going to be eventually moved across into a pooled structure. So it's right that they take time um, and and a great deal of effort to make sure that the governance is right. I think the structures and frameworks are largely there. They have been set up, those basic structures, Mm -hmm. and we will see them in operation now as more and more assets start to come across. Necessarily, it's going to be a relationship that develops over time. Individual funds are still responsible for their assets and liabilities. They are going to need monitoring. They're going to need information. And we're already seeing signs that ultimately pools are very aware that they have customers. In the majority of cases, they are owned by those customers. And that dialogue is going to be really important. They are listening to funds. You know, we've seen the London Civ, we've seen Brunel, you know, having active dialogue with their stakeholders. So I'm pretty confident that in the long run, pools will find a way with their funds that they get the governance right. And what do you think will be the main challenges for local government pension schemes over the next 12 months? Well, there's valuation coming up, which uh, I suspect is not so much for the lawyer to talk about. I mean, in in terms of legal changes, we've got the fair deal consultation. I think it'll be really interesting to see what impact that has in the short to medium term on the number of participating employers and how funds interact with them. We were expecting some benefit changes to come through as a result of the cost cap, which have obviously been paused because of the age discrimination legislation in the the Sargent and McLeod cases. But presumably that will come back on the horizon. It's always useful to know as far as possible in advance what changes need to be made from an administration perspective. And then, as I said, data. The focus is going to be on data, getting it right, collecting it, making sure it's accurate. Ian, what would your views be on on the main challenges for local government pension schemes over the next 12 months? I mean, Kirsty mentioned valuations just then, so maybe you could say a bit about that. 
Uh, well, it's never never a quiet year in the LGPS, and, and this year will be will be no different, I'm sure. Thinking of some of the, the key challenges, specifically in England and Wales, picking up Kirsty's point about pooling. Uh, you know, pooling activity will gather momentum this year, and we'll see uh, fund mapping and transition into the pools. That's a huge exercise, so the, the governance and the, and the risk management around that has to be has to be spot on. As Kirsty said, valuations uh, they take place this year against a rather uncertain backdrop. That's as a result of the, the Court of Appeal recently uh, ruling that some of the transitional protections put in place for the, some of the public sector schemes in 2015 were illegal. The government is appealing that decision, but there's been some uh, knock-on consequences and there are a number of questions still to be resolved. In particular for the LGPS, it means that the valuation being done when the actual future benefit structure of the scheme is, is uh, a little unclear. And of course, as Kirsty said, data, always a big challenge in the LGPS, the, the complexity of running a, a career average scheme and a final salary scheme the explosion in the number of employers and the um, the resource issues that funds face mean that data is always a challenge. Thanks, Ian. Thanks, Kirsty. For more on the LGPS, please visit pensions-expert.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.